Hello and welcome to Learning Rewired Flash Insights, a selection of key takeaways from Headspring's Learning Rewired podcast. I'm your host, Bevan Rees. Businesses are under unprecedented pressure from multiple stakeholders to seek their profits in a responsible way. The common view is that aiming for positive social outcomes requires the sacrifice of financial success for investors, or in the opposite direction, that the pursuit of profit is always at the cost of social and environmental health. But could there be something fundamentally flawed in this perspective? Is there a different route that leads to increased business profits and greater well-being for all stakeholders? Someone who certainly believes so is Alex Edmonds, Professor of Finance at London Business School and author of the norm-challenging book, Grow the Pie, How Great Companies Deliver Both Purpose and Profit. Alex, an absolute pleasure to have you on Learning Rewired. Welcome. It's a pleasure for me to be on. Thanks, Stephen. And Alex, I'd love to start with a quote, actually, um, towards the end of your book, the Grow the Pie. And it's from the political satirist PJ O'Rourke. And I think it, it really sets the tone well for the conversation that you and I are going to have today. And the quote goes like this. In this zero-sum universe, there is only so much happiness. The idea is that if we wipe the smile off the faces of people with prosperous businesses and successful careers, that will make the rest of us grin. So, I, you know, before we dive into the different distinctions of growing the pie and pie growing mentality. What are your first thoughts on, on that comment by PJ O'Rourke? Yeah, so I think the PJ O'Rourke comment is, I think highlights some of the large issues that we have within society is that in order to make us better off, we need to make other people worse off hmm. or alternatively anybody else's anybody else's success is at the expense of us. So we can see this in trade wars, for example. So um, Donald Trump was arguing that trade wars were good because the Chinese stock market had been going down over the last four months. Mm. But China doing badly doesn't necessarily mean that the US does well. It mm. could be that the trade wars um, harm everybody. Mm. And right now, in terms of um, the potential bailouts, there's a discussion as to should the government bail out Virgin Atlantic, um, but it's actually um, bailing out EasyJet. And why people are objecting to the bailout of Virgin Atlantic was because Richard Branson has been really successful. Mm. Uh, and that could be either, number one, jealousy, or number two, the view that his success was at the expense of other people, when in fact he was able to be successful by challenging the incumbents in a highly um, uncompetitive industry, which is airlines, providing employees with, with, with jobs and, and providing customers with great, great products. Yeah, that, that zero-sum mentality really is the kicker, isn't it? Because, um, you know, regarding of, you know, regardless of how we might interpret div different business choices in terms of operational decisions, etc., the mindset, the mentality uh, that's at work there is really the source of so much conflict, isn't it? Yeah, and it's, it's really destructive because what this means, it means that we only look for win-lose solutions. Mm -hmm. We actually like to put other people down. So it might even be within an organisation um, we want to not help another division because if we think that if we do so, then that divisional manager will get promoted rather than me when actually the whole company is going to um, do worse. Mm -hmm. Often we are too busy fighting with ourselves uh, rather than, to, rather than um, to help your whole organisation and think about the pie rather than just our slice. So when you speak about the whole organisation and the pie there, can you give me a little bit more detail as to what you mean by that? Absolutely. So, so when we apply the PJ O'Rourke um, quote to a company, um, the analogy of the zero sum mentality is what I call the pie splitting mentality. So that is the idea that the value created by a business is a fixed pie. And therefore, any slice of the pie that goes to one party, let's say investors, 
is taken away from other parties, let's say workers and the environment. And so this is damaging in two ways. So number one, if you're a business leader, right, how do you make more profits? We take slices away from workers and the environment. How do we do that? We cut wages and we don't try to reduce our pollution. But on the flip side, if you're a, um, somebody who stands up for society, you might think that the best way to ensure that workers are treated well is to take slices of the pie away from investors. So let's pass some really strict laws to heavily regulate business. So either way, you business and society are enemies and they're fighting against each other in a them and us mindset when actually um, the evidence is that businesses can be a force for good that not only deliver value to their investors, but also deliver value to societies as well. I think it's a fantastic observation that that idea of if you flip the coin both sides, you're getting basically the same approach just mm. from a different point of view, just from mm. a different end of the scale. Um, and in, in neither case does the overall group win. Somebody's always losing. This has become quite a political conversation in many ways. And I think a very valid and necessary conversation about the responsible management of businesses um, and the impact that they have on society. But perhaps where it becomes political is that it's become almost fashionable to point fingers at businesses and, and for many people to assume all businesses are on the take and that business itself is now inherently evil. But that itself, ironically, that mindset, that perspective mirrors the perspective of businesses that genuinely are doing bad work, isn't it? Absolutely. Because just as destructive for a business leader to think that profits are at the expense of workers so let's mistreat workers it's also destructive to think let's say you're a worker representative let's try to hamstrung and and restrict business because if you do that then business is not going to be competitive and and you're going to go bankrupt and therefore workers jobs are, are, are not going to be preserved so the greater the extent to which we see that we're in this one together i know that's sort of a cliched phrase but that's what the evidence suggests is that we want workers and investors and and customers to work together to create a company which not only delivers a lot of social value, but then also make sure that um, this social value is, is, is fairly distributed. I mean, as you go into detail in your book, and that's one of the things I really enjoyed about your book, is that it brings quite a sober lens on these very controversial issues and, and kind of sees that not all cases are the same and that it requires a bit of analysis to pick out the fact that in situations, for example, where some executives are getting extreme pay, the contribution that they've brought to that business and directly to society far, far outweighs any kind of take that they are getting from the business exercise itself. That's absolutely right. And I think your um, analysis of a sober lens is spot on because we are actually not wired to think about these things with a sober lens because when we grew up as kids, right, a lot of situations we are in is, is a win-lose situation, right, with football or chess or whatever game you want to play if somebody wins the other person loses so we are wired to think that somebody's success is at the expense of other people um, and on the ceo pay issue i'll take actually an issue an example not from the book because it happened after the book um was finished and this is going to be even more um current was bob Iger, the ceo of disney so last year he got a massive media furor because he was being paid 66 million euros so 66 million dollars and then people thought well that's at the expense of everybody else um were he not paid so much then disney could have offered more jobs but actually the sober lens is to say well how did he make that money now absolutely if he made that money by price gouging customers and firing workers then he didn't deserve it but he'd made this money as a byproduct of being a fantastic manager. So Disney had gone up in stock price by 600% since his tenure, whereas the broader market had only gone up 150%. Now, obviously not all of that 
was due to him. It was due to the workers as well. But even if 0.1% of that value was down to him, then his pay was still justified. Also, we don't just care about shareholder value, we care about society. But he had created 75,000 jobs within Disney just due to being so successful. So this was not at the expense of everybody. It wasn't stealing pie from others, but a byproduct of growing the pie is that if you create social value, then everybody benefits, including the CEO. I mean, executive pay is a particularly sensitive topic. And I, and I admire your courage and willingness to take on those topics in your book. And you provide some excellent guidelines um, on, those, on those kind of topics and how perhaps to see them, first of all, in a constructive way, um, but then also how to approach them from an organizational and from a leadership standpoint. I'm, I'm interested in executive pay specifically right now because there's a sense there of, okay, Bob Iger did really well for Disney. Disney did really well, employed 75,000 people. It seems on the, on the top of it that everyone really benefited. However, there's still this massive sense of inequality when somebody walks away with tens of millions of dollars from their tenure. Is that something that we that we can expect to be ameliorated in some way? Or is that just the numbers are fair and that's something that people need to make peace with? Knowing that there are always going to be payoffs in these very complex situations. Yeah, this is a good question. I think um, I've got two responses to that. The first is I think Iger's level of pay was fair if um, he would have also been punished had Disney's not done badly. So I think rewards mm. for success are fair if you're also punished for failure. And I think indeed some of the great, um, some of the most fair pay schemes do that. So what they effectively do is rather than paying the CEO in cash, they pay him or her in shares. And so what that means is that they're effectively an owner of the organization and they're, they're fully invested in it. So if they do really well, then automatically um, the, the value of the shares w- w- will go up. Just like any investor in Disney, they benefited from Bob Iger being so successful, even though they didn't contribute to any success. Similarly, if he was paid in shares and if he hadn't done well, those shares would have fallen in value, so he would have been accountable. So I think rewards for upside are fair as long as they would also be counterbalanced by punishment for the downside. And indeed, if you're given shares, then that automatically is the case because if the stock price goes down, your shares go down in value. But the second thing is I think it's also important to make sure that it's not just Iger who benefits because, as I mentioned earlier, if a company does well, it's not just due to the CEO, it's likely due to other people. And so one thing that I'm a big advocate of in the book is the idea of um, rewarding all employees with shares, not just the CEO, um, because that further highlights the fact that there's alignment between the CEO and workers, everybody's in it together. And if the pie grows, then employees also deserve to benefit from it. In the real world, we don't have certainty. So it's not like a finance textbook where they're giving you all of the cash flows that come from investments. You can't predict the impact that um, treating workers well has on profits. So doing this intrinsically is going to lead to different outcomes from doing it instrumentally. So just as an analogy I'd like to use, um, probably the listeners here, you'll have friends in your own network or colleagues in your own network, some of whom are just nice people. They will help you because they are kind and altruistic. There's others who will help you because they think they're going to call on a favour in return. So as a result, they're only going to help sort of the powerful people in their network and not the sort of less powerful people. But... Um, In the long term, it's actually the first people who are going to be successful because the second set of people, maybe unexpectedly, some junior person who they mistreated ends up becoming senior and then doesn't sort of help them as well as they should have been. So because we live in so much uncertainty, I think that the idea of 
calculating everything, even though that's something a finance professor would love to advocate, I just think is unrealistic. You know, the fact that it's unrealistic, I think, is a, is a very strong point. However, is, is there not something in that sense of calculation that makes human beings just naturally feel safer in making decisions, especially at the top, having that foundation of calculation as, I suppose, almost a form of evidence, even though it's not genuine evidence, makes them feel more supported in making decisions, especially at times like this when, you know, the world is turned upside down. It probably does, but that's, I think, what, what courageous leadership is about. It is about doing things where, where um, you're not going to be feel safe. So anybody who's made a, a great innovation, let's say launching self-driving cars or electric cars or a, a new drug, I think the calculation would, would have never led you to do this because the odds are completely sacked against you. I think it's also the difference between leadership and management. So managers are people who do um, things right. Leaders are people who do the right things, who will take decisions which seem crazy, but then end up being successful. So one of the, the goals or the motivations for writing the book is to give leaders the courage that if we are willing to step away from the comfort of calculations and spreadsheets and, and, and go with conviction and principles, this can ultimately lead to more value being generated in the long term. So what I try to do in the book is not just have sort of food for thought, okay, be more purposeful, but a plan of action, how to put it into practice. And so go through three principles that managers should apply in order to decide whether to take an investment or whether to turn it down. I won't go through the, the three principles here just because it'll take me a while to go through that. But I will say it's important to have this decision-making framework because some advocates of responsible business say you should do everything that you can to help society. But that's just unrealistic because if you take every single investment, shareholders are, are not going to be given a return and the company's not going to be surviving in the long term. Do you think a crisis of this kind, I mean, you know, crises, personal and collective, are always traumatic to some degree, but they can often accelerate change, positive change, and lead to greater impetus to change in positive ways, regardless of the trauma. Do you think we can expect to see that as we sort of reset from the COVID-19 global crisis? Or is this going to be make it more difficult for leaders to implement change that they feel is for the betterment of all? Yeah, so I'm quite hopeful. So, so while obviously the crisis has been really devastating, I do think if there, there could be some silver linings in that it accelerates the, um, the idea of serving society. And in particular, if we go back to the pie growing versus pie splitting lens that we started this conversation with, often people think that responsibility is about pie splitting. So paying your workers more, paying fair tax and... Um, serving the environment and don't get me wrong those are important things but i say it's about pie growing sort of innovating to come up with new ways to serve society and i think what the risk the crisis has done was highlight the importance of pie growing so why let's give you a few examples so there are some actions which companies have taken in the crisis which have been pie splitting actions which have still been good actions so these are executives and investors taking less of the pie for themselves to give more to others. So let's say um, CEOs, some of them are working for zero, zero pay. Um, you have companies like Disney who are guaranteeing to pay all their workers, even though the parks and cruises are shut. You have Unilever giving away 100 million euros of food and sanitizer um, to society. But why I think we need to move beyond thinking that responsibility is only pie splitting is that not all businesses can give up slices of the pie. So what if you're a small business and you don't have 100 million euros lying around? Mm. Or if you're a big business 
but you can't keep paying your workers because your business has been hit, like Qantas Airways. Or what if you're a business in a completely different industry where you don't have food and sanitizer to give? So what the idea of growing the pie is, is about actively thinking creatively and innovating. And so that's how every company can help out in this crisis. So let's say, for example, Chelsea Football Club. Well, you might think, what does that have to do with the crisis? But what they do have is a hotel. And they're using the hotel to give it to doctors and nurses so that they can stay at the hotel after working in the hospital. They don't have to commute all the way home. Mm. Or you could have a company um, such as um, Burberry, which makes luxury clothes. They're now choosing to make um, gowns. Or you could have a really small business. So I go to this um, brutal gym in London called Barry's Boot Camp. And there, well, they're a small business, so they don't have money to give. One thing they are offering is um, free online fitness classes through, through Instagram. Okay, but you might think, well, you don't need too much innovation for a gym to think we can offer free fitness. But one of the good innovations they've done is the following. So the desk staff at Barry's Boot Camp, their main jobs for some of them is their actors. But they take this desk job because acting is obviously a volatile um, profession. So... As they're actors, their great um, skill is, is uh, entertainment. And you might think, how can entertaining really help in this crisis? But what we do have is a lot of parents, working parents with their kids at home, and they can't work with their kids being at home. So what these people are offering is a free storytelling by Zoom. And that has a huge effect because it now takes the load off working parents. So just by thinking creatively as to how you can create social value is really freeing and empowering because it means that you can create value even without donating hundreds of millions of dollars. And I think that's important. Hopefully, if we permanently have this mindset as to how can we use what we have to create value, this means that everybody can play their part, not just the large companies with a lot of accumulated profits to, to give. And Alex, for those of our listeners who would like to obtain a copy of Grow the Pie, where can they, when they, where can they find that? Thanks. Yes, the book is called Grow the Pie, How Great Companies Deliver Both Purpose and Profit. And so you can get it at any standard bookstores such as Amazon. And it's available in three formats. Also, the website of the book is growthepie.net. And, and so um, that has the reviews of the book by other people. So yeah, t- you might want to take a look at that before deciding whether to get it. And also um, there have been events which have happened since I finished the book and I'm covering them on a, on a blog on the website. So hopefully those will be of, of use as well, just to keep up to speed with the developments that we're seeing in responsible business. Yeah, I mean, I can taste the fact there's a lot of useful content there, but I highly recommend diving into the book. The level of detail is both impressive and also very reassuring to those who want to make better decisions and move into the space. Fantastic. Alex, thank you. Really wonderful insights and uh, really appreciate your, your commentary on what I think is an incredibly important topic in the current times we're living in. Great. Thanks so much for having me, Ben. Thanks, Alex. Keep well. You have been listening to Flash Insights, a collection of key takeaways from guests on Headspring's Learning Rewired podcast. For full episodes from Learning Rewired, as well as access to other episodes of Flash Insights, please subscribe to the Learning Rewired podcast. 